Welcome to the Business of Property Development podcast. I'm your host, Shane Hiscock, and by way of background, this podcast is all about connecting you with professional property developers and consultants and professionals associated with property development so you can hear about their journeys, how they started, where they're headed to, and to dig in a little bit more and find out about their beliefs and mindset around property development and around success. Why we cover these things is that I believe success leaves clues and you can be inspired by someone or even pick up one or two insights that you take action on. It'll make all the difference and your time will be well spent. Another purpose of the podcast is to provide you with exposure to some great companies, developers and property professionals that you may have never heard of. All right, Vu, are you there? I am, sir. Mate, firstly, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. No worries. And um, yeah, we'll kick off, right? So just as a bit of background, could you let us know a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, a bit of background information would be great. Over to you. Yeah, sure. So I'm Vu Nguyen. I'm the Director of Town Planning Alliance. And my professional background has probably been a bit more diverse than I am. Um, I started in Brisbane City Council, but not as a town planner. I, uh, I, I, my first job at council was actually as a call centre consultant, but um, which gave me quite a, quite an eye-opening experience in terms of the overall council machine and how it works. But from there, I was um, seconded into planning, and from that's how my planning career started. I, I, I had a uh, built environment degree beforehand, of course, and um, through that went joined private practice and have found myself now running my own practice over the last 10 years this year actually been a 10 year anniversary this year um, planning I've always found it's 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 interested me because it's it's tangible and it's immediate in in the, the type of planning that I do being DA uh, but yeah it's what well, my interest in that or the background has been really driven by by my um, interest in the bricks and mortar as investments more than anything. All uh, right, yeah. And so tell me a bit more. You said you did a degree in the in built environment degree. What does Yeah, so um, QUT um, at the time offered a built environment degree. I majored in landscape architecture. It was fair to say my landscape career was fairly short-lived when I thought a Chinese elm was a nice tree to keep, and that was probably much, pretty much the end of my landscape career. Um, yeah, and, we, and from there, it's um, once I... Was seconded to council's planning department. I um, took up my postgraduate degree uh, in urban regional planning through QUT again, uh, and off we went. Yeah, great, right. So you never actually picked up the shovel, or you never actually went and did any design, and no, I don't. I was pretty much taken off that project when I thought the Chinese elm was a nice tree to keep. That was about it <laughs> for me. Uh, but the only landscape I do these days is mowing the lawn, even if I get around to that. I just find it interesting because a lot of the times, um, and I'm not, you know, the, some listeners might be, you know, fairly uh, fairly early on in their careers, but, you know, a lot of the times we're leaving school expected to kind of know what we want to do for the rest of our lives and we go and do a degree and then how often do we end up doing something totally different seems to be... Uh, Absolutely. It's, you know, if you look at the current schooling system, you're asking a 15-year-old to choose their career. It doesn't work very well in that sense. Uh, so it's no surprise that I didn't pursue the landscape career. I, was, I guess I was just lucky that my undergraduate degree gave me a, a head start into my postgraduate in planning, so I didn't have to redo another undergraduate degree in that sense. That's great. 
And so um, you said that the Brisbane City Council seconded you from the call centre into town planning, so... Yes, yeah, it was early 2000s and that was when the boom was going crazy and they were looking for staff, any old staff, and given the fact that they asked me to get seconded, it probably suggested how desperate they were more than anything, but uh, it, it was... It was great. I, I fell bum first, so to speak, into a planning profession, which I really love. It's really fast-paced. Working in council, I got to see how the machine that is council works. And um, it, it was interesting because when I set up my own practice in 07, I, I, I was acting as a contractor to council as well while running my own practice or establishing my own practice. And... You know, in that moment in my career, it just highlighted to me how much our profession is opinion-based, you know. You can ask 10 planners for an opinion on a matter, you probably get 15 different opinions. Uh, and it's in our world because our clients our clients rely on our opinions very heavily, it just reminds me of how important it is to make sure that those opinions have strong planning merit each time and every time. People are making huge decisions based on the feedback they get from their planners. Well, they're, they're making big decisions based on your own opinion or, or our opinions, you know, and often the, the opinions might differ to council and it's about how you how you can execute your message to them. Uh, you know, there's no in our game, no one's right or wrong. It's just whether there's a different way of doing things. Does that, like, because in, in some senses there's... Um I guess a view that you know there's a town plan and it's to be stuck to, and then you'll get different planners will have different views on it because some are more comfortable being able to push the envelope, and others maybe less comfortable. Is that what you're pointing to? Into exactly, exactly. But that, that, that's the whole scheme is set up in that planning is set up in that regard that the days of prescriptive planning, black and white, you comply, you're on, you don't, you're out. Those days are generally gone now. The, the schemes these days. Uh, based on performance-based outcomes. So on uh, one hand, you might have the black and white criteria. There is heavy emphasis on alternate arguments, not before what they call performance outcomes. So say, for instance, if the town plan says thou must build two-storey units, but we are seeking a three-storey outcome, Obviously, we're, we're offending the black and white rule, but if our three-storey built form is no higher or bigger than a two-storey outcome, in essence, our opinion is that the built form is no different. And that's part. That's an example I, I, I'll probably suggest to you how it's about inter interpretations and opinions in that respect. Um, yeah, so it's and that's probably where a lot of disconnect within the community is where that people who aren't trained in this profession say, well, the town plan says two stories. Why is there a three-story building being built? Uh, there's a bit more of a subtext to that. And that, that's uh, going forward while planning and development continues to double in that grey space. That is going to be the, the community disconnect that we're going to have to deal with. Mm. I can see as well, like, and then you, can, you can get a total different like, answer if you're um, a developer taking a site to two different levels of planners like you know a planner who might be you know, reasonably um conservative or yeah been yeah. around for 10 15 years and those people inside a council might have a different view of what they feel could be uh, approved in certain areas 
Yeah, and it's probably I. I'm not a big believer in someone knowing someone in council, therefore getting things done. I don't, I don't believe in that. I think if there's any benefit in a consultant who's worked in council before is expressing the process to our clients. So the benefit I draw ha- having worked in council is that I don't, you know, I, having worked in council doesn't give me a free kick. What it allows me to do is express to my clients how their system works and why it takes that long because there is a system in place and once our clients are aware of that system, the frustration comes out of it. You know, it's just being aware of how this machine works. It's Councils generally deal with thousands upon thousands of applications across Queensland, um, you know, and I, I liken it, I often use the analogy of an emergency ward and the hospital. You know, there's two people at the hospital, one's got a broken arm, One's got a, a, you know, a cracked head to use an extreme. But you both want to see the doctor straight away because you're both in pain. So it's a bit the same with my clients or with developers in general that they all want council attention immediately, which is fair enough. But there's other projects there that council has to get through as well. And once without having worked in council uh, letting our clients know that of that awareness or bring their awareness to that, it takes a lot of the frustration out of the process for them and it helps getting the, pro- the project moving a bit more smoothly for our clients as well. And that's that's the big issue, I guess, for us as consultants is to manage our clients' expectations. Of course, everyone wants to be in and out today or in 24 hours. It'd be lovely, but the reality, it's not. There's a system in place that needs a machine needs to work to process these thousands of applications. Right. So it gives them some context, I guess, and allows some, uh, I guess, understanding of the situation. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Boo, what do you think makes a good town planner these days? One that's practical and commercial. And and what I, what I say to that is town planning is a very broad profession, and it's within that profession I specialise in the development assessment side of things, so I can only comment on planners in the development assessment space. You know, I'm not a strategic planner or a policymaker. I'm a development assessment planner. Uh, and what makes, in my opinion, well, certainly the traits that we look for in our team as planners is problem solvers, but also practical and commercial. You know, ultimately, developments don't occur if they're loss makers. That, that's the truth of it. Developers do development to make money, generally speaking. So often we find planners can be guilty of being lost in the process of getting approval, but sometimes if that approval has no financial feasibility to it, they may not have. They may as well not have got it. So I guess ultimately, though, in the planning space, a lot of it comes down to communication back and forth between council and us. If we're all clear on the same page of where we're at, why we're doing things, that's what makes a good planner. Or a good planning process in my mind. Yeah, right. And you mentioned something there, you know, obviously being practical and commercial. I mean, something I've seen a little bit of recently are some DAs that um, fuck just doesn't work. That's right. There's approvals that um, some poor developers gone through and got designs done for a, you know, type of townhouse, for example. You know, a, a that's right. Yeah. House. Uh, with one bedroom almost buried underground and, and then two further up top but with a, a single car park, for example, or something like 
which mm. if you know the Queensland market, um, especially in a Brisbane, you'll know that won't work. Do you guys mm. Uh, mm. see a bit of that and how do you deal with it? Yeah, I guess from our point of view, we're not property experts, we're planners. But what we do do, one of the things that we have the benefit of is that because of the volume of projects we get involved in, we can see what trends our clients are moving towards. You know, when, when you do the volume of projects that we do, you start to see patterns. You know, the patterns could be as simple as we're not seeing any units or historically we hadn't seen units that were less than six or eight at a time. But you'd see townhouses up to six or eight. And that would probably suggest that units less than six as a built form being a class two building was not cost effective compared to townhouses because townhouses being a class one building is cheaper to build. Now, they're not planning requirements, but they're observations from our end that obviously a class two building costs more per square meter to build, but sells for less per square meter compared to a townhouse. Mm. And they're observations purely from the, the type of work we do. Uh, we, we see trends Say, for instance, the, over the last three years, there's been a big move towards four-bed townhouses with double garage. The days of three-two-ones seem to have gone for top for our client groups, at least. Uh, there seems to be a proliferation of, um, you know, four-bed, two-car, and we're doing townhouses as, as up to five-bed townhouses, and and they yeah, and they're selling. Our clients are clearing their stock, and what it says to me is potentially that. The Australian lifestyle is changing, that we want the home, we just don't want the yard. You know, we want to go to the coast on a weekend but not rush back on a Sunday afternoon to mow the lawn. We still want the home, uh, just don't want to be a slave to the yard. And that that, that says something in that respect. Uh, so we, we certainly see a lot of trends and patterns. Uh, we, we do see a lot of DAs that in our mind don't make sense in terms of commercial viability. You know, there's a there's a construction cost to it. I'd love for every town planner to learn how to build a house because once you know how a, a structure is built, you know what's expensive, what's not in a design, essentially. Uh, and you know, there are things that we'd like to share with our clients that, gee, that three meter cantilever looks quite expensive. Are you sure about that? Type commentary. You know, uh, it might look great on a set of drawings, but it's going to cost you a bit of money to build. Yeah, because you're going through that now, aren't you? Are you building at the moment? We are. I know you, you we are. Started. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's very valuable to have that experience. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things where um, what we try to do here is we try to every now and then do a, a development where we get our senior guys involved in. Uh, the reason for that is that you know planning is only one small step of the development process. And ultimately, we're here to advise and assist developers. So what we try to do is, or what we like to do is give our guys here experience in real life and bring them into a development uh, from start to finish so that they know that everything they do in the DA process has an ongoing effect at operational works, at private certification, at building, at civil works, at plant ceiling. Everything, every decision and stroke of a pen you do in the DA space, I tell my guys, has a net impact down the road. And you need to be cognizant of that when you promote your projects, your applications, I should say, in that sense. And it's, well, end of the day, we're here to advocate the cause of our clients who primarily are developers. And, you know, you're not going to understand them unless you have had exposure to what they put themselves to. 
you know, there's a lot of, they carry a lot of risk, a lot of pressure. And it's easier just to make things smaller to comply. But at the end of the day, that's the difference between make or break a project. You can see why a developer digs his heels in, you know. Um, we, and it's not just about development. We, we do a lot of retirement and aged care work. And we've got a job at the moment where we've got a retirement village where council or a um, nursing home, I should say, where council wants to put solar screening on our windows of our nursing home beds. And from a, it seems trivial that we're having a red-hot Barney with council about it, but it's critical for our client, for the user experience, because they want residents to be able to, who are bed-bound to experience their outside world. So a generous window opening is important. That's not, that's not screened. Uh, so, you know, every, what, I guess one point I'm getting at is every project has a, a key driver and sometimes planning loses sight of that. And that's where a lot of the discussion between council and ourselves come, comes into it. That's very cool. So can you tell me a time when things, I'm sure you've had a few of these situations, have gone, you know, very much not the way you wanted it to go. You know, it's quite a hairy situation. And how did you get around it? Oh, yeah, there's, there's, with our projects, what we try to do is de-risk them as much as possible. But ultimately, there are elements that you can't control. Community feedback, for one, you know, community feedback, um, one other, or uh, you might work really hard, get an approval, and then you get a, a submitter appeal. Uh, you and I have been involved in a scenario like that before, Shane, where we got an approval and a neighbour appealed it to the Planning Environment Court. And ultimately, in when projects get difficult or the wheels fall off, we've just got to sit back and take stock of our project and ask ourselves honestly, where do we stack up or where do we sit with respect to compliance with the town plan? If you have planning merit and you comply with the town plan, it will see you through. And that's the asset test, is if you look at a project and if you can't get in that box and convince a, a judge that this is a good planning outcome, you should not be doing it. So we've had scenarios where, yes, it's been a rocky road through because of community angst or because of um, politics or a variety of things, you know. But ultimately, you've, we've got to ask ourselves, where do we sit with respect to planning compliance? If we truly believe this complies with the, the intent of the scheme, it will see us through. Got it. Yeah. So you're saying, as right. long as you've got the underlying sort of fundamentals there, Oh, you have to. You you would have covered off early on because you would have considered that. Then, rather than it it might get a bit rocky, but you kind of can be a bit um, comforted in knowing that you, you know, it makes sense from a compliance. Absolutely. What? What? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. And and don't get me wrong. The the planning space. If you put together an application, it's not just about your town planner. You know, you got civil engineering questions that are put to you. Traffic. Question, traffic engineering questions, ecology, flooding. So you've really got to have trust in your team as well, in your team of experts. And you've really got to trust them in those situations that they've got it right rather than second guessing them. It's all fair and well to get second opinions, but we pay for our experts for their advice. We need to, we need to listen to it. And, and what I mean by that also is that we take probably greater pride in telling our, our clients, this project won't work, don't do it, 
as opposed to let's go and do this project because when we have the confidence and comfort to say to a client, no, that's a dud site, it probably it actually enhances the trust between the two parties because they know that we're not just telling them to buy a site for the sake of a job. And that works similarly with our subconsultants. If we seek advice from an ecologist and he says, there is no chance in hell you're going to be able to clear that paddock, that builds trust in us with them because we know they're not just after a payday, they're giving us some honest assessment. And that bodes well for the projects that do go ahead. Yeah, critical, I think, because um, they've got, like anyone just sort of jumping in and giving that advice just to, to win that, that fee, um, obviously, if that project doesn't go through or... Yeah, and, and it goes back to what I said before. We, we operate in, in an opinion-based industry. And unfortunately, it's too easy for consultants to say, yeah, that works, stick it in and blame counsel. You can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, if I was to rattle off some stats in our office here, for every 10 inquiries about sites, we'd probably say seven of those sites or seven of those inquiries don't work, don't buy it, don't do it. And of those three we'd, that do pass that test, we then send it out to our, our consultant team to pick it apart. And of those three, probably two pass that test. And then it's up to the client to pursue the site or not. So, you know, the attrition rate of inquiries is pretty high. And we take pride in that. We take pride in being able to say to a client, that won't work because we, we spend their money like it's our money. And if we wouldn't buy it, why should we tell them to buy it? Totally agree. Hey, V, you work daily, you know, with property developers. Obviously, that's your, that's your you know your whole business, your key client. And I'm sure you have yes. uh, developers you work with at all different experience levels. Uh, what are some of the traits, though, and characteristics that you see from you know the guys that are doing a really great job out there? The, some of the best guys that you work with. Pride in their product, one hundred percent. Pride in their product. If if they don't have pride in their product and they're just churning, it's a bad reputation for their brand. You know? Uh, the, the, it's funny you put that question to me because typically, beyond our clients as, as developers being our clients, don't forget counsel is a key stakeholder in our business as well. We, we work with them as much as we work with clients. But a, a developer generally, no matter how long or short the phone conversation, wants to know four things. And I, I encourage my team to always answer these four things, whether they're asked or not within a phone conversation. A developer will come to us and ask us generally four questions. Can I do what I want to do? How many can I put on there? How much will it cost me? And how long will it take? That's the number of a developer's inquiry to us at the start. You know, they're the four key questions that a developer always needs, wants to an answer, either directly or indirectly. Um, but... Uh, uh, Across our client group, the, the, the good ones, and we've got great clients, and I have to admit, I'm very fortunate to work with the clients I have. It comes, they, they all have a common trait, which is they take pride in their work. You know, they, 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 they want to show it off because they're proud of it. And that's what it comes down to, you know. And I'll admit, there's been times where we've built, we've got projects approved, and they're built, and you go, geez, that didn't look like what I thought it would look like. Uh, but more often than not, we're driving by going, holy crap, that looks really good. That's a good outcome, you know. Uh, and that's probably why I, I like being a town planner in the development space because it's tangible. It's look, touch, feel. 
you can see the results of your work, so to speak. Uh, but the, yeah, the, the, the traits, the, if I had to pick a, an adverse trait of our clients, they're always in a hurry, <laughs> always impatient. But that's because you've got the bank breathing down the neck. You know, I, I can understand that. That's what it is. We don't have time to sit around. Time is money. Um, but our good clients also learn. They, 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 they adapt. One of our key clients at the moment, he started off doing houses. Uh, and he's learned, adapted, progressed, and he's putting out hundreds of, putting out hundreds of boxes a year in the multi-res space. Uh, and he's learnt all along, along the way. He, he said to me, we started off this journey with him, well, I did 13 years ago. I think he was one of my first clients. And he said to me, every job I do is going to be a bit bigger than the last. But doesn't mean I'm not going to continue doing small things. So every project he picked up was just a bit bigger, a bit bigger, a bit bigger. So he learnt progressively rather than jumping the deep end. Uh, but he didn't turn his nose up towards small projects either. So he's project portfolio at the moment is quite diverse. But he built it up to manage his risk by just doing it just a bit bigger, a bit bigger each time, which I thought was very clever. I think it's a smart idea. I often use the analogy of um, motor racing for property development. You know, you can't kind of just be driving around the street in your, uh, in your standard sedan and then decide to go race Formula One. Because it just... There's, just, there's too yeah, much to learn, too much you don't know. Um, you could progress to go-karts exactly. and then you might move to, you know, Formula Ford and then to something else and make your way through. Mm. So, no, that's a really good point. So the other point out of that, though, was that they're still diverse. So you're saying he doesn't just now focus on the bigger project, he still has no. smaller projects. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's been his strength. Where he's, I've worked with him through two storms. That's called the GFC and the current market conditions. And he's still going strong because his his appetite for development is so diverse. He's not narrow. He's not honed in one thing. Yeah. Is it all residential, so or is he, does he stay to a sector? No. Well, he, primarily residential. Yes. You, you can't have your foot surgeon doing surgery in your hand. If you know, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, he, he's where he has dabbled outside of residential. Again, he's taking the same philosophy: start small and do a bit of uh, and grow each time in that space. So he's done some commercial work, and he started small and grew a bit, grew a bit in that sense. So it's but primarily residential to answer your question. Yeah, well, it's always interesting to know because, especially, and what did you see through the cycles? That's um, that's of interest to me because. I guess you look at I look at the current cycle now and see uh, what we've just been through in regard to units. And uh, if you were just yeah, if you just stuck to the building units, then you'd you'd probably take a holiday right now and just wait till the next one. Yeah, if you can afford it. Yeah, <laughs> just to check yourself out of the game for seven years, uh, if you could afford it. Yeah. Oh, look, developers are quite adaptive folk by nature. You know, end of the day, it's. It's no different to any other profession. If your job becomes redundant, i.e. you're a residential developer, then you need to reinvent yourself to find another job, be it a land subdivision developer or a childcare centre developer or a petrol station developer. Or you know, you're a unit developer, you reinvent yourself as a townhouse developer. Something slightly more tangible in that sense. Um, you can't just shut up shop and well, not all of us have the luxury to just shut up shop and sit on the sidelines while the storm passes. So adaptability is very important. 
I'd imagine, to be a developer. Um, flexibility. So you got pride was uh, one, the pride in their work. I think t number two trait you said they learn and adapt. Is yes. there a, a third key thing you see with the successful guys? Have a plan. They have a plan down to the, the, the nth degree because plan A doesn't always work. What is your contingency? What is your strategy? Our, our good guys have a, a development strategy just in case because you never know what, what, might, what might, might happen. The banks might change the funding rules on you. Um, you might find that what was a relatively straightforward application has a thousand objections. And what does that mean on your program? Uh, have a plan and a strategy for those vulnerabilities or perceived vulnerabilities so that when that does happen, you can switch to that plan pretty quickly as opposed to scratching your head thinking, what am I going to do now? And that's generally what they they spend a lot of time developing those plan B, C, and D for their projects. Generally, yeah. Yeah. No, I've had those things happen. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been there with you, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, that's right. You have indeed. Um, and thank you for that, by the way. And um, yeah, things always seem to change in property. And I think sometimes it's looked at. Um, from the outside in, I think everyone thinks developers are always making a, a boatload of money on every project. What's your view on that? Do you think that's the case? Or... Oh, no, no. Oh, look, let's not deny property can be very lucrative, but I liken developers to punters at the racetrack or at the casino. They're, they're great at telling you how much they win, but they don't often tell you how much they lose. Yeah. We see it. We see it. And... That's why it's not for the faint-hearted. And, and I know because the rewards can be quite high that it attracts a lot of people. But it's not as simple as that. It's not as easy as that. There is, it's, it's, it's generous reward because there's high risk. Yeah. Very high risk. And unless you're prepared to accept what the risk looks like, be cautious about entering that space. Mm. Yep. Uh Totally agree. I think sometimes it's sort of looked, looked on fairly glamorously, but the uh, under the covers, uh, I know, um, you know, myself included, a lot of guys I know, some projects go really well, some don't go very well. Sometimes spend right, a couple of years on something and sort of come out of it, you know, just surviving at times. So yeah, it's and that's the thing. It's the in terms of cycles and ups and downs, we find that. This sounds horribly brutal, but downturns I see as a natural cleansing of the space. Okay. Yeah. It, it's survival of the fittest. So the best developers who know their space will see their way through a downturn. And that applies with consultants as well and builders and all those sorts of things. In a downturn, it's this, the, the best that survive. So I guess for me, I'm always interested when I pick up a new client how long they've been in the game, when they started, have they weathered any storms? Because it gives you an insight into how prepared they are as well. Yeah. Great insight. And um, t speaking of, I guess, cycles and, uh, and, and you know, opportunities, where are you seeing you know, things trend towards at the moment in terms of new opportunities? That might be different product types, could be different areas. What do you see coming? Yeah. Well, I guess I, I could only speak towards the work that we're doing at the moment. 
And if your planner is like the canary in the mine, so to speak, um, we've stopped doing the. We're not as prolific doing units anymore, and uh, we haven't been doing many units for a little while now. That's probably symptomatic of the market space. Uh, we've been doing a heap of townhouses, a heap of the four bed two car configuration, and what we are hearing now is that that, that space is starting to get a bit oversupplied as well. Um, so be, that's some feedback we're hearing from our clients. I'm not sure what science is behind that, but that's just what we're hearing. And it seems that every man and his dog is doing childcare at the moment. There's a lot of childcare work, a lot of petrol stations. What we've had consistent through all of that, ups and downs, is land subdivision has always been there. Right, yeah. And, but it seems that the small-scale land subs are fewer and far between simply because of the land supply they're getting scarcer but the economics of them are getting harder as well what do you call small scale oh anything less than five well i call them domestics yeah less than five um but they they get harder because the margins are getting tighter the land availability is harder you know when you're in that space like you look at a splitter block for instance you're not just competing with other developers you're competing with home buyers yeah totally you know, there's, there's there's different competition. If you had a project that, if you had a development site that was purely a development site, you're only dealing with developers and every developer has a, a walkway point. But if you're dealing, competing with someone who wants to be their home, their family home, you're competing with their emotions. That's why it makes what I call the domestic projects harder because you're competing with home buyers and their emotions. Yeah. We see it all the time. I agree. Mm, mm, mm. But also in that domestic space, you've also got newcomers to the development space who haven't got the feasibilities fully locked down, and that leads to sometimes overpricing of purchases, which makes it overheated in that domestic space as well. Yeah, you just need one purchase then, and it sits a bar. One hundred percent. That area yes. as well. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So, mate, um, a lot of industries at the moment, or in the last couple of years, have been. Uh, disrupted, you know, Uber to uh, to taxis, Airbnb to the to the accommodation yep. space. Do you see anything like that coming in around the town planning space? I I don't think you can ever automate the planning assessment process. In my opinion, uh, if you were to do so, you'd be enforcing strict black and white compliance, and I don't think we're ever going to go there. I think the, probably the benefit of technology in our space would be I see there's um, apps being developed for um, people to pop in a property address and it gives them a quick planning rundown. Uh, and that's probably that, that information on hand, so to speak, is, is becoming valuable. But I, I'm sceptical of those sorts of things simply because there's no two sites that are the same. And you can't impose a one-size-fits-all in the planning space. You might get a planning outcome on a site and try to replicate it next door, and it may not be supported because there are no two sites that are the same. So while there is an emergence of technology in terms of providing information to hand, um, I don't think it will ever replace a planner sitting in front of a planning scheme digesting what the planning scheme says. I guess it comes back to your earlier point about it, a lot of opinions, opinion based. It is. Well, it, it's what, yeah, it's one of those things. It's, you know, I, I say to my clients to make 
I see that for them to make money, they need to buy right, plan right, build right. And, and what I mean by that is that they either need to buy it at the right price, get a good planning outcome, or get a good building price. And we fit within that plan right space where if I made our clients comply with everything, they're likely to go broke. You know, So it is our job to find a good planning outcome, uh, whether it's an aggressive outcome or a, a clever staging outcome. Because we, we can't control what our clients pay for the land, nor can we control what they pay the builders. Yeah, you're, you're the planning part. That's right. And, you know, we, we find that if you can jag two of those three elements, the buy, plan, or build, you're, you, you're on your way to a good outcome. But if you can't jag any of those three, you're probably going to not make any money at all in, this, in the process. I like that. Buy right, plan right, build right. Yeah, and we, we find that's a common trait of a good program, project. Great points. And um, so what about TPA from here? What's, you know, you've grown quite a bit in recent years. I know you moved offices not too long ago. What's the plan for the next few years? Um, the plan, it's, our, our goal is always to be there for our clients when they need us. That, that emergency ward syndrome again, uh, no matter how big or small be there when they need you uh, maintain quality advice don't lower our opinions is what we we pride ourselves on but in terms of going where 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 to i can't see us moving outside of the da space shane i see us um growing but the challenge for us is to grow but maintain that interper the, the customer service ultimately we're a service-based industry and we need to be there when our clients need us though. and so i see ourselves ideally growing in the same offerings, but surrounding ourselves with the right team to provide that service to our clients. And that will be the challenge. Yeah, great. Sounding good. And so um, we'll start to wrap up in a sec, but obviously there will be, might be a lot of people that listen to this that want to get in contact with you or understand what councils and areas you cover. Can you let us know which areas you cover? Yeah, sure. We, we, we do work all through Queensland and Northern Territory. But um, the bulk of our work is in southeast Queensland, but we, we do we, we do provide a lot of work through the regional areas uh, for, for our clients when they, they ask us to go there uh, and through the Northern Territory as well. But we don't do any work down south, um, but the bulk of our, our, our projects at the moment are in southeast Queensland. Yeah. And do you cover, I, I know the answer, but I'll ask you anyway, you cover residential, commercial, all sorts of areas? Yeah, absolutely. We, we do all sorts. Um, we, we've probably, we do a lot of residential, be it land subs and, and housing. We do a lot of retirement and aged care. We do a lot of childcare and a lot of commercial. Probably the one sector that we don't have a strong presence in, the DA space at least, is industrial land, and we're working on that. But to give you an example of the, the diversity of our work, uh, Shane, I had a look at our work portfolio, and this year our smallest job was a impact DA to remove a door in a heritage house to replace it with bifold doors. Our largest job is a two and a half thousand lot subdivision, and in between there we've done a our fair smattering of shopping centre upgrades. We've done a lot of retirement and aged care work and a heap of multi-res stuff. But that example of the work we've done this year gives you an idea of how broad 
It is from that heritage house to that two and a half thousand lots. But it's the principles are the same, Shane. I say to my guys, you've got to have your same planning process, regardless of the size, uh, because that will see you through the complexity of it. That's great. That is a wide range of um, application types, isn't it? Change a door. Interesting. It is. It is. It is. But it, invariably, what we've found is that the client who can afford the million-dollar house reno that we did his DA for is quite successful in his own chosen field, and he drags us into that field, or she, for that matter. You know. Uh, so for us, there's no job too small. We 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 welcome the opportunity because we never know who we're going to meet. Yeah, it's amazing how things connect up. Well, that's it, that, that, that two and a half thousand lot subdivision, how we came into that was um, the developer, we did his house for him. Right. You know? Interesting. And so, I like how you operate, I like how you did that. Can you do this one for me? So you never know. You never know. I, I instilled that in my team here that there's no, we never judge our clients because, you know, developers are great at downplaying themselves <laughs> as well. Um, and we should never judge them by what they wear or what they drive, because you never know. Yeah, it's a really good bit of advice. Mm. Okay, and mm. so how do people get in contact with you? Okay. They can give me a call in the office on double three six one double nine double nine, or send an email. We have a general email account. Um, the general email would be info at tpalliance.com.au. And, yeah, give me a call. More than happy to help. Fantastic. Hey, um, Vu, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for no taking no the worries. time. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for the invite, mate. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great day. No worries. Thanks, Shane. See you, mate. Bye.